You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 20. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I am Monica Louie, and I am so excited for today's episode. I have got a really fantastic interview to share with you for episode number 20. Today, we are speaking with Alex Jimenez from TravelFashionGirl.com. Originally from Los Angeles, Alex has been traveling around the world since 2008. After working in the fashion industry for seven years, she decided to pursue her passion for travel full-time. She's since been to 46 countries on six continents and now bases the majority of her travels around her love for scuba diving. After realizing that there was a lack of information for female travelers on the internet, in 2012, she launched Travel Fashion Girl to create the resource that she wished she had. And since then, Travel Fashion Girl has grown to seven figures in annual revenue with more than 1 million monthly visitors, and it's helped more than 20 million women travel and pack smarter. Alex and I met in early 2018 when we both joined Pat Flynn's SPI Accelerator Program. And she's since become both a great friend and a client. But I've always been impressed with her love for her readers and how she keeps them at the forefront of her business decisions. And she shares all of that and more in today's episode. So in this episode, you will learn the reverse SEO strategy that has helped Alex grow her traffic to more than 1 million monthly visitors. The various ways Alex engages her community for content ideas and creates valuable resources her readers want. Travel Fashion Girl's revenue model and why Alex decided to add physical products to the mix. Plus, Alex shares her best tips for increasing your affiliate marketing revenue that you're probably not doing, and most of them are quick and easy to implement. And Alex shares what she's learned by doing a content audit and mistakes to avoid if you are doing one too, and a whole lot more. Before we dive in, I want to make sure that you know that you can find all of the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 20. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E dot com slash the number 20. Okay, let's dive into the interview with Alex of Travel Fashion Girl. Hey, Alex. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I am so excited to talk with you. How are you doing today? I'm good. Super excited to be here as well. Really looking forward to chatting with you. <laughs> Thank you. So tell everybody who you are, what you do now, and then we'll go back into how you built up your business and how you came to where you are today. I am the editor-in-chief of TravelFashionGirl.com. It's a website where we teach women how to travel carry-on only for any destination in the world. I started in August 2012, and now I think over seven, eight years, I don't even know how many years later, it's going strong, and I'm really just thrilled at the community that we have with such a very niche-specific travel-related blog. And you and I know each other. We first met through Pat Flynn's SPI Accelerator program, and then we've become great friends, and we've worked together. We've done Facebook ads for you, and it's just been so great to get to know you over this past year plus. And I know that you built up your blog and had, I mean, it's been growing like crazy. I mean, you're you're seven years in, but last year you hit a major milestone. Do you mind sharing? Yes, we got to a million monthly visitors, which is awesome. We've hit over a million monthly page views a couple years ago, but getting those visitors up was a big one. So we were so close last year and we finally hit it in the beginning of this year. So it was a really exciting moment, you know, just such a big achievement to get over the million monthly visitor mark. Yeah. So, I mean, that's an insane amount of traffic, over a million visitors a month. And you grew your blog to hit seven figures last year as well, correct? 
I did. We'd been doing a um, six-figure revenue for several years before that. And last year, it also took that leap over. So that was a whole new level of excitement for the business, for the growth of the business. So really cool. So cool. Congratulations on that and all the traffic. And I know that you've got a hugely engaged community. So I definitely want to talk about that. But how did you even get started? Did you always know that you wanted to be a blogger? Where did this idea come from to start Travel Fashion Girl? Well, I used to work in the fashion industry. I actually majored in merchandise marketing at the Fashion Institute of Design and Merchandising in Los Angeles. So, I mean, as far as I can remember, I always wanted to work in fashion or have a business in fashion. And in 2008, I quit my corporate job in the fashion industry and decided to pursue a different passion. I started traveling and I ended up traveling long-term, full-time for almost a decade at the end of it, really, and I still travel quite a bit now. But in the process of traveling, I was trying to figure out a way where I could utilize a skill set while also maybe working on the go because so I could finance my travels long-term. And at that point in 2008, 9, 10, I mean, blogging was really new. I didn't know anything about it. And as 2011, 2012 came about, it started, I started paying a little bit more attention to what people were doing. I started hearing about people starting travel blogs and I started Travel Fashion Girl, but not necessarily thinking, well, this is what's going to be the the business or this is going to bring any revenue. I was literally just trying to find a way to merge my passion with my skill set, which was my background in fashion with my hobby or my passion of travel. So travel fashion girl. (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of an accidental thing that came about, but ultimately it really roots from what I always wanted to do, which is somehow work in the fashion industry. Very cool. Okay. So you had this love for fashion and love for travel. And I read on your website that you were trying to find resources for what to pack. And so that kind of spurred it as well that you realized there were not many resources for women. And so you decided to build the site to kind of create the resource you wish you had. Exactly. So in 2008, I quit my job and I decided to travel long-term. And over the years, I really was tired of dragging around a, a really oversized suitcase with more so with things that didn't really make sense. I seem to always pack way too much of all the wrong stuff. And 2011 came around. I'd been on the road for several years and I set out to do a little bit more research and to travel strategically because at that point I realized, okay, I'm not going home. I'm going to continue traveling and I can't haul all this crap. It doesn't make sense anymore. So I wanted to get more strategic and I looked online and didn't really find any resources that made sense there wasn't really anything for women and the packing tips that I did find online seems to be geared more towards a male traveler, not even a male traveler, more sort of a a male hiker. So I started doing research on the go and I was started speaking to other girls at hostels and traveler cafes and whatnot, and found out that a lot of them experienced the same frustrations as I did. So I started learning about what worked, what didn't, and then compiling all the information together in um, about a year process, really, between my research, my mistakes, seeing what worked, what didn't, and also the interviews. And a year later, I, I launched Travel Fashion Girl, really from my own personal need to downsize my luggage because there wasn't a solution. So I created it. That's awesome. So cool. And then, so did it take off right away? Or was actually, it kind of a gradual growth? Actually, it did. I think the first six months, we had already hit 35,000 unique visitors, I think within a year, a year and a half, maybe we had a hundred thousand unique monthly visitors. So it did grow really quickly. And the reason is because I started doing SEO from the very beginning, not really knowing what SEO was, but kind of, um, I was doing a work exchange in Thailand for a digital marketing agency and learning about SEO at that time. And I decided to implement it into this website that I was starting. And as it turns out, SEO is kind of an important thing. So that was a big part of the quick growth for the blog right away. In addition to me spending like 20 to 24 hours a day on social media, I think doing like guerrilla marketing. Oh my gosh. Okay. So you're doing a lot of promoting and then also being strategic with 
your SEO strategy. Can you share about how has SEO changed from back then? Because I know, you know, Google's always changing. So what worked back then that doesn't necessarily work today? And then what is working for you right now? Well, a couple of things really changed. One is the way that bloggers earned revenue. For example, back in 2012, one of the really easy ways to start making money as a blogger was to sell sponsored posts, which basically meant that you'd link, like, you know, I'd link to a travel company and that backlink went back to the website, gave them link juice and basically told Google, Hey, this is a good website because it has a bunch of, you know, like this bloggers linking to it. These other bloggers are linking to it. So it must be a good website. So that's really the the main thing that changed in two ways. So that affected the way bloggers made money. And that also affected the way that you strengthen your website in Google's eyes by getting backlinks. And while that's still really important, it's a bit more challenging. You have to be a lot more careful about the way you do do that. And as a blogger, I definitely stopped selling those kinds of links in 2013, like right away. I didn't want, it wasn't worth me risking my website to make a quick buck. It just wasn't worth it. So Google would ding you if it saw that you were kind of partaking in that strategy. Yeah. So it would penalize websites that were accepting paid links. And it was also penalizing the company's websites that were paying people for links. So that was the main thing. And that was also, so that was a big part of the growth. And it really still is. That just continued today again, but you have to get backlinks in a more organic, strategic way. So that's one major thing. Of course, Google has done their best over the years to evolve and keep people from trying to game their system. And Back then, I started doing what I called reverse SEO. And I remember people were like, why are you doing that? Doesn't make any sense. But instead of necessarily writing for the search engine, so instead of doing keyword research and writing articles based on what Google said was popular, I took the topics that I wanted to write about. And I took the topics that my readers wanted to know about. And then I found a keyword that applied to it. And that was a really organic strategy. So I just called it reverse SEO because... I was writing for my readers or what I wanted to write, but I was also optimizing the content to a keyword that would make more sense. Because obviously, if people can't find your content on Google, well, you can't help them. So that's always been my view about SEO. I need to optimize my content so I can help more people. And that reverse SEO now, which was weird back then, that's now better practice is write the best content you can and write for people, not for robots or whatever. So that's something that's kind of evolved, but I've been doing it since day one. So it's kind of cool, (laughs) but it worked out in my favor. That is, I mean, that makes so much sense, right? So, I mean, Google is trying to provide the best resource. You know, when, when you search for something in Google, it's trying to provide the best resource. And so by going about it, whereas I think a lot of times in, in the blogging space and, and online businesses, you know, we're trying to, like you said, game the system and trying to figure out like what is going to make Google happy. But I love how you're very focused on your community and really responding to their questions and their requests for the kind of content that they're looking for. And so I think that's super smart. And I'm sure that played a huge part in the rapid growth as well. I have to say, you know, giving them always what they wanted. And even now we create content solely based on what the readers want to know, almost solely based on what they want to know. Occasionally I'll have my own blog posts that I write, or there might be a popular keyword that we do very rarely try to write an article for, but more so I'd say the 90, 95, if not more percent of the content that we create is based a hundred percent on what the readers are talking about, what their questions are. And we create articles to provide solutions. And by listening to them, it's been really enlightening because I'm not the example of every single woman in the world and what, you know, not my needs are not somebody else's needs. Everybody's so unique. So by listening to the readers, we've been able to create content that I wouldn't have thought about, you know, something, you know, I don't wear a liquid eyeliner. So I didn't realize that waterproof liquid eyeliner for flights was kind of something people thought about. So, I mean, just in a very simplistic way with that example, that was a question that kept on reoccurring in our community. So we created a content, we created an article answering that question. And in turn, that became a very popular article on social media because it was something that people wanted to know. And it wasn't necessarily something that maybe had a big keyword opportunity or a big SEO opportunity, but that's not what matters. And what matters is that we're giving the readers what they want. 
So it's just been being able to pay attention to them has given us a lot of different avenues versus just focusing only on SEO. Just being able to combine everything has been more powerful than just chasing after like having a few articles with some keywords with big volume. I've never been about the big volume keywords. I've always been every article should have at least something versus nothing. It's not necessarily about the search term. So I've never really worked for Google. I've kind of always worked around and accommodated my readers needs for Google. That's so great. And one thing I found super helpful on your site is your packing list directory. I mean, that is huge. I can't imagine how long that took to put together. So the site, I mean, while you're a full-time traveler, it's not necessarily only for full-time travelers. So if you're looking to book your next, you know, spring break getaway or holiday vacation or summer trip for next year or, you know, anything at all, you can go onto the packing list directory and then find the location that you're visiting for the most part. Do you know how many locations you have there? I don't. I'd like to say <laughs> somewhere for every destination in the world, but I know we don't. But I, I think probably at least over a hundred, if not hundreds, because we write multiple, sometimes certain destinations require, we do city guides or country guides or region guides. So it kind of some might be overlapped, but one of the really interesting things about the packing list and how you mentioned that they're not just for long-term travelers. When I first started Travel Fashion Girl, I was a long-term traveler. I was a backpacker. So I was writing for a backpacking audience. And in listening to the audience within months, I quickly realized that the people were, that were responding, they weren't long-term travelers. Most of them were leisure or vacation travelers. So I instantly, within months, changed my angle and made sure that I was speaking to the audience that was reading the content and also providing the information for the packing list. One of the key things that I've always done with that content is we'd actually interview people that lived at the destinations or we'd interview expats or travelers. So that that content is more accurate versus someone that just went somewhere for a week. You know, that doesn't really give you a good grasp of how it is to visit somewhere a whole summer or over the year. So that was a really important thing. And all the destinations that we have featured are based on destinations that the readers have asked for. And I want to, I mean, I'm looking at the list right now. I think you've got, I mean, all these a variety of locations in, I mean, variety seems like too small of a word, like an abundance of, of locations in Asia and Africa, South Pacific, South America, North America. So really, I think any, almost any location that you want to travel, if, if you want to know what to wear, or what to pack, Alex has a resource for you here. And I was, I was checking out the one about what to wear in Portland since I live right outside Portland and it was so spot on and you really covered everything about, you know, the various seasons. Cause I mean, Portland weather changes all the time. And so, but it was totally spot on. So I love how in depth each of these are. And, you know, it really does show that you are trying to provide the best resource to be, you know, the most help for your audience. Thank you, Monica. I appreciate that. I mean, we do our best, really. I know the the blog's called Travel Fashion Girl, but really it's less fashion and more travel. Our goal is to provide the most accurate practical resources for the readers and then help them determine how they can apply that information to their own trips. And, um, you know, whatever we do is we try to really kind of have a neutral conversation or provide neutral examples of what to pack so that way, you know, not one person will like the same exact things. You know, the things that you see on the website, they're not necessarily things that I like because if this is a re- it's irrelevant to what my personal style preferences are, clothing preferences are. It's always with thinking, well, what is the most general idea that we can give the reader and that way they can apply it to themselves. So we do try to give a lot of information, a lot of practical information. And again, you know, with not just with clothing, but with different things and also incorporating things, activities that people might be doing as well. So we do that alongside our travel experience. If we've traveled somewhere, but also really focusing on getting tips from people that live in destinations. So it could be very accurate versus just having a copywriter, you know, just write something like that they just searched online and put it together. So, so yeah, we hear that it's pretty spot on. So I'm glad that you think so as well. Yeah. We'll put the link in the show notes so you can check out this abundance of resources here for your next travels. But so the takeaway, I mean, for our audience is that, you know, really 
think about how you can go above and beyond and pay attention to the questions that your audience is asking. So do you have a good system for kind of tracking those questions? Because I mean, you've got all these different social channels where conversations are happening. And then you've got the website where conversations are happening. I'm sure you get a million and one emails a day. And so how do you kind of organize to know like that this question keeps coming up or this topic keeps coming up? So this is something that we should pay attention to and provide a resource for. I mean, in the very beginning, it was really just me. I would get, people would email me and say, this is, um, this is where I'm traveling. This is my problem. Can you help me? And then just with my experience, then I would answer their question via email as thoroughly and as helpfully as I as possibly could. But then I realized, actually, I could take that. I just spent like an hour answering this person's question. I can turn that into a blog post. And also it could help other people. Other people might have the same kind of question. So that's how the content originally started is finding out really just people would email. I would answer, turn it into a blog post, repurposing that email, basically helping one person. But now I could help so many more. And over the years, I started getting questions that I couldn't answer anymore. So I hired freelance writers and gave them a list of destinations or questions or things that they had experience with. And that evolved again, where I then I turned it back to the community. When I started Facebook, I think the Facebook group was a really big deal. The Facebook page was always a really popular place for the community to chat. But as you know, Facebook pages became a bit more difficult for people to get some newsfeed time. So when the Facebook group came around, that was a big game changer because if I didn't know the answer to someone's question, I could say, let's post your question on the group. And then all of a sudden it's so many other people with much more diverse experience than what I have answering the question. So it worked really well because I was able to remove that pressure off of me to be the one that knows all the answers, which I'm not that person. And it allowed the community to work together to kind of to help each other. And in turn, what we do now is we turn the most popular questions or threads based on the quantity of comments. So let's say one of the questions gets 50 or 100 responses or 200 responses. Well, we turn that into an article based on the recommendations from the readers. So it's gone full circle. And now one of our community manager, she keeps an eye on the on questions that commonly come up that reoccur or particular, like I said, the waterproof eyeliner thread that had like 200 comments that I would have never thought about writing an article on. So she kind of pinpoints what those are. And then we have a couple of freelance writers that will then repurpose that content and those conversations in the most helpful, natural way into then content. So it really comes back. And what I love about this, it's full circle. It's helping the readers get the most accurate information. It's them giving back to the community. And it's also a pool of experience, not just mine. So I love that full circle, the content creation that we have now. Yeah, I think that's such a great strategy. And it's really just about you paying attention to, you know, what your readers are asking, but then also what they're suggesting. And I love how you've removed, I mean, you are paying attention and acknowledging the fact that people are going to have different tastes, different styles. And so really getting that community aspect. And I mean, you say that right in your blog. I've seen that in your blog post where it says, you know, here is what the travel fashion girl community, you know, here are the, you know, favorite travel pants for the travel fashion girl community. These are the pants the community loves. And so it's not necessarily just one person's opinion like yours, but it's from the community. So then it becomes a more trusted resource as well. A hundred percent. And I actually don't like working with brands to a certain extent because I've, I've never liked it because I've always felt pressured to talk about things that I might not necessarily agree with. And that's actually not a part of my revenue strategy. I don't work with brands. I'm very fortunate that I don't have to do that based on the way that we um, earn our revenue. So I've always, if the brands that we have featured, the partnerships that we have had have always been really selective. I've turned down hundreds, if not thousands of people just because I couldn't vouch for them or I didn't have experience with them. And I didn't feel that it was genuine for me to share their information if I didn't, if I didn't trust in them. However, there's certain products. Again, I'm not the example for every single female traveler, but 
actual, the readers might have insight on why a product that I wouldn't have thought to use is awesome. And they've actually sold me on a lot of products too. (laughs) And they've convinced me as to why something is good. And this is fantastic because now it's not, oh, this blogger is trying to sell me on this product. It's, well, this is a collective recommendations from our community. It's not just me saying, this is what I recommend. And I do throw in, you know, if I do use something and I recommend it, but I love that it's not just somebody that hopefully the readers will know that we're not just recommending something because we want to make money off of them. We're really just removing ourselves. I'm removing myself completely from the equation as much as possible. So that way it is a more trusted source. And I feel more confident sharing content that is recommended by the readers. I also feel more comfortable as from a, from a personal perspective where I don't have the pressure of, hey, if that's wrong, <laughs> if they didn't like it, then it's not on me. But it's a very organic way that we can earn a revenue while they're getting the best recommendations and not feel like they're being sold to you because I hate selling to the community. I don't want to feel, obviously, if I love something and I'll, I'll talk about it all day long, but I don't want them to feel like they're being sold to. Like, I'm so protective. They're like my one million babies. <laughs> so they're really important to me. Yeah. And I love how you value them. And I know that you take care of your readers. I mean, that's come up in, you know, many of our conversations is that your readers are like your babies and you just want to take care of them and, you know, provide them with the best resources and make sure that they're getting the help that they need. And I think that that definitely comes across and that helps to, I think that comes across in your blog and, you know, your engagements online and, and that helps to build that relationship with you because they can feel that they can sense that from you. I do. I'm so grateful. I think I was just very recently, I'd been ill or I'd been unavailable for a couple of weeks and I started getting messages, emails on every social platform like, hey, are you okay? And then I went and just left, um, you know, I gave everybody an update on how, like what was going on with my personal life (laughs) really quickly, even though I try not to intertwine it too much, but I felt, you know, the, the fact that people would go out of their way to check on me. I mean, so humbled. And so I don't even know how to, I just, just so touched by uh, the outpouring of, of support. So then I just gave everybody an update and think that update had like 500 reactions and a couple hundred comments. And I don't even know, I just feel like the luckiest girl in the world just to have such a wide community of positive female travelers of positive women. That's the biggest thing for me is of women that feel empowered of women that I feel that I've helped empower. And now that they're empowering each other, that's the space that I want to be in. And I want to support these women and hopefully in other endeavors that I look to in the future. And we've talked about, you know, other, how does travel fashion girl evolve? How can I reach more women? And of course, in the travel space, because that's what resonates with me. And it is amazing to see how they interact with me and how they interact together. So I think it's such a special community. I, I always just say, I'm so grateful to be a part of it. I definitely don't feel like the one that leads it. I definitely feel like I'm a, I'm a part of this bigger thing that isn't even about me. Was that intentional? I mean, is that the way that you wanted to structure it or did that just kind of naturally happen? That's a really good question. Actually, I never started the blog or any social channels to have attention on me. I actually took, it was a couple of years before I actually put my face on the blog or put my face on the social channels. And it really, Travel Fashion Girl wasn't a personal narrative. It wasn't meant to be, hey, look at what I'm doing. It was really, I just wanted to create a resource to help women. And I think over the years as, you know, social channels have evolved and blogging has evolved and trying to figure out who I am in the online space, one of the things that I've really come to realize is how much I do not want, I never wanted to be the face. And in the sense that I never wanted to have that influence or be that influencer, I guess, what is a modern term for influencer? Like it's never been about, I don't care if I have a hundred thousand Instagram followers and people are liking my outfit. Like, I don't, don't look at me. Don't look, (laughs) you know, I don't want to be, I'd rather not have the attention on me. And I'd really want to have the attention on the help the travel fashion girl provides. So that's something that it's, it's come full circle for me is now how I started is now going back to that and really trying to go back to that and bringing it back to the community. So I'm hoping that I can 
bring the community forward even more, whether it's different faces of Travel Fashion Girl, different representatives, brand ambassadors, whatever that is. I really want to represent more women. It's not about me. It's about helping others. Yeah. So that's, that is a random thing that's actually been really top of mind lately. Like it's people are like, they call me Travel Fashion Girl, but it's not me. It's just for everyone, you know? Yeah. And I I totally relate to that. And I think a lot of people do in the online space. I mean, it kind of feels like, you know, there's all this talk about, you know, building a personal brand because people relate to people, which I totally understand and agree. And I even, you know, teach and talk about that people do relate to people. So I recommend, you know, on your Facebook page, you should have a picture of you if you are the face of the brand so that people can connect with you. But I also know for me and for a bunch of my friends in the online space, we kind of feel like we want to build a business to help people, but we didn't necessarily want the attention to be about us. And that's kind of why I love doing what I do because I get to promote my clients' work (laughs) rather than, you know, put the focus on me and what I'm doing. And so that's something that I've had to kind of learn to balance, but I think you've done it so beautifully. And, you know, it just comes across very authentic and you have large social followings everywhere. So Instagram, 17 and a half thousand on your Facebook page, more than 75,000 fans. Let's see, on YouTube, how many do you have on YouTube? You have a whole bunch on YouTube as well. I mean, everywhere. So is that, have you always focused on building up, let's see, 12,000 on YouTube and then in your Facebook group, looks like 19,000. So, I mean, large following everywhere, plus the millions of visitors, <laughs> you know, over a million visitors now each month. So is that something that where you were intentionally growing every social platform or is that something that over the years kind of happened one by one where one was your focus to grow up? For sure. In the beginning, Twitter was actually in completely instrumental in the growth, the social growth of Travel Fashion Girl when we first launched. And I used Twitter to have one-on-one conversations with people. I would see what they were talking about and I'd say, oh, well, here's some tips and here's a link back to a blog post that might be useful. And those, those one-on-one, you know, guerrilla marketing conversations really that was, that were happening on Twitter. That's really where established kind of the core following. And as Twitter became less of a main social media channel for my audience, I then moved on to Pinterest. Facebook was always there. And, you know, with Instagram, it's like, Oh, everybody's got to be on Instagram. The biggest lesson that I learned is I learned really quickly on that it wasn't necessarily about the numbers and at least not for my business. Again, because I mentioned our social media numbers from a brand's perspective in a comparison to our traffic numbers, they're really low in comparison. And that's because I didn't really put any as much emphasis on growing our social media following as much as growing our audience with SEO, with those strategies, because while our social media numbers may not be as high they don't really impact us because at least from a revenue standpoint, I know that there's certain influencers that have 300,000 Instagram followers, but they don't have a revenue. So in Mm -hmm. our case, I put the preference on what was right for the business. But what I did early on is that you don't need to be on every social media platform, you know, 80, 20, what's the 20% of the the platform that brings 80% of the traffic. And that's always been Pinterest, Pinterest and I guess Facebook didn't really bring the traffic, but that's where the core hung out. So Mm -hmm. I let Twitter go a couple of years ago as I started phasing in a bit more Instagram. Last year, I let Instagram go because that really just didn't make sense for our, that wasn't the priority at that point. And now we, you know, we maintain it, but still the two core social media channels are Pinterest for traffic and Facebook because that's where the community is. So over the years, it's really understanding what are your priorities? What are your business models? Why? Why are you doing something? Why are you growing? You know, if we were working with brands, we would need to have a massive Instagram channel, but we aren't working with brands. So we don't actually necessarily need to grow that channel. So it's knowing your why, why are you growing this? What is the impact that it's going to have on your business? And do you need it? So that was a very good lesson that I learned early on. Thank you for sharing that. And so your revenue model is primarily through affiliate marketing because you mentioned that you don't do a lot of sponsored posts or hardly any. And so your revenue mainly comes through affiliate marketing and ad networks. Is that correct? Is it anywhere else? Yes. As of two years ago, we completely wiped brands, <laughs> wiped brands from the blogs. Well, the team and I could focus on what actually drives the, again, the 20, 80, 20, 
where we found that working with brands took a lot more time and it wasn't necessarily where we were most passionate about, but the revenue wasn't there to reflect that. So we focus more on what's always been the biggest revenue driver, which is the affiliates. And the reason why affiliate, you know, particularly Amazon and other online retailers makes a lot of sense for us because we're talking about products. There's a lot of product recommendations naturally based on the topics, like I said, liquid eyeliner or waterproof liquid eyeliner. And that's something we can always link to. And again, in a very organic way in recommendations that are directly from the reader. We also do have eBooks. We do have digital products. And that's something kind of like a bonus ad that we have on a funnel that we promote not heavily. I think I say, <laughs> I think you're always your worst own salesperson. So we don't promote that heavily, but it's there. We do have digital products. We also have an ad networks. That's actually one of my biggest regrets from a business standpoint, because ad networks were contacting me for years and I didn't like the way they looked. I didn't, I didn't want to bombard my readers with ads, but over the years, I think ad networks became more, they evolved the way that they the ads evolved and also the interest from the advertisers and companies evolved. So a couple of years ago, I think we did move into working with ad thrive and that was a big reason why we were able to move into the seven figure mark and which in turn has been a big revenue boost for the business and then allowing us to focus on other things such as our physical products, which, you know, physical products, it's a, it's a huge monetary investment. So that's now an, another revenue driver that we have with the business is we have our own physical product brand. It's called Compass Rose Travel Accessories. There's only a few items. That was a very scary thing to jump into because again, there's a huge investment that goes out of pocket and putting products plus competition on Amazon. And that's a whole other world, but we've been very successful at it. Fortunately, because we do not actually rely on Amazon traffic for our sales. We rely on our own traffic from the blog. We just use Amazon as a more of a shipping and fulfillment sort of agency. So it'd be great if I could say, hey, yeah, we're just racking it up through Amazon sales, but it's more so from our own blog. And I think that's kind of where we're, where it is. Digital ad networks, e-commerce now with Compass Rose and the affiliates. I'm probably forgetting something, but that's the main part of it. So, and I mean, your success with affiliate marketing, I think it's so easy to see that that comes from the relationship that you built with your readers and that you've become, you know, a trusted resource. And so then it makes the click through and the purchase, if they do end up making a purchase decision, that it just makes it very natural and organic. And so I think that, I mean, do you have any other affiliate marketing tips? It just seems like, you know, building that trust with your reader and providing the best resource and all the different angles, like we talked about from your community and, and their suggestions as well has led to, you know, big part of your affiliate marketing success. I think it definitely ours, the strategy with affiliates has evolved over the years. For example, just something as simple as switching an affiliate network. For example, we used to link to a department store, a named department store, back when we first started. And that was through an affiliate network that will also remain unnamed. <laughs> but for example, like in one month, maybe we'd earn $20, $50, from that network linking to the department store. Then we were approved for a more for another, I'll just say, oh, we were approved for reward style and reward style isn't, I think it's a bit more of an invite only. I'm not sure that's what it was before. So it wasn't as easy to get into for affiliates as maybe something like a share sale or a link share. So the moment that we switched that the links to that same department store on the exact same blog post from that one affiliate network to reward style, our revenue went, I think we have like a thousand dollars in a month. So something as simple as seeing what one ad network offers for commission on one retailer, somebody else might be offering a completely different option. So while we thought, hey, you know, these people aren't really shopping for these types of items, well, in fact, they were. It's so we should be getting a little bit more savvy with the data and really paying attention to what people are buying, what people are returning. If people are returning, you know, they might be buying like a hundred of one thing, but if 99 gets returned, then we know it's a bad item and we pull it from the blog. And also, you know, getting strategic in the sense that if we're featuring a blue color in a certain top and we see that only black is selling, well, we'll show the black top instead of the blue top. So different strategies like that have 
been able to boost revenue over time with affiliates. As the traffic has grown, again, where the emphasis for me was on SEO versus social growth, was as the traffic grew, our revenue grew. So that's been a big game plan over the past couple of years for me when I started becoming more strategic about it and felt more like a CEO, like a more girl boss perspective. But now instead of growth, I'm kind of shifting into higher conversions and making sure that we have over 2000 articles on the blog. So are those 2000 articles, is the content well done? Is the content informative? Is the content up to date? In addition to that, are our products in the shown inside the blog post are the best products, the most relevant products being featured. And by going back and updating old articles as well, then we've been able to also get a revenue boost from blog posts that maybe were making no money, but by revisiting something that was five years old, six years old and revamping it, we've seen it just jump into one of our top selling posts. I love everything that you just said. So I think that everybody should pay attention, maybe re-listen because you gave us a whole bunch. So, I mean, paying attention to, well, first of all, can you get a better commission rate with another ad or affiliate network? So paying attention to what's actually converting and then just doing that research and finding, I mean, I, that's not something I would really think about doing because I would think if I'm, you know, if I have an affiliate program for this product that I'm promoting, then that would be the end, you know, that I would, you know, once I make sure that it's on my blog and it's converting, that I wouldn't think to go and research if there's another way to build a relationship with another affiliate network in order to sell the same product. So I love that you mentioned that. And then also just paying attention to all the details of what is selling, what's converting, you know, which color, you know, is a product getting returned a whole bunch and making those adjustments and going through your articles to make sure that they are kept up to date, that they are promoting the best products. And because I'm sure some of them, you know, are probably at this point seven years old. And so just making sure that you're going through and keeping everything up to date and relevant. So it continues to be the best resource for your readers. So what has been that strategy like? I know that that's been an ongoing project for you to do that. Do you have like a system in place where you are prioritizing which articles to tackle first or what does that look like behind the scenes? That looks like a big chaotic headache of a mess behind the scenes. It's been like so crazy. Yeah, probably shouldn't be managed by me. I'm not a good project manager. Um, Yeah, no, that's been absolute chaos, but... What we've learned through this process is that we should have started by focusing on articles with lower traffic versus higher traffic so we could actually practice and figure out, oh, well, if if we're actually doing it the right way. Because, for example, one person's perspective was maybe was, well, this article gets like 50,000 page views. You know, we should go work on this first. And that makes a lot of sense. But we had a lot of trial and error because we weren't just optimizing for products. We're also optimizing for SEO. So that's where things got a little hairy. So if I could do it again, I'd probably say, so we pulled a list of all of our 2000 plus articles and then organized it by page views and revenue or whatever. And I wish I would have started with the ones that were a lot less traffic. And I would have just actually done, instead of trying to do SEO updates and product updates, I wish we would have just done product updates and then not really messed around as much with the content because that's when things can get a bit tricky and you can actually lose your ranking for some articles when you're changing a little bit too much and where you're changing content. And what we were trying to make, for example, we're trying to make one article really helpful, but instead of making it more helpful by adding more content and giving even more information, we've just now lost the rankings on SEO on Google, which means now we're doing the opposite. We actually can't help people. We can't reach people with our article. So I actually found that some let some content that wasn't as good, we should have probably left that way, to be honest with you, which is unfortunate. And then maybe write another, a new article about it. I'm not sure, but maybe just, it was a lot more. We should have just, I wanted it like now. I mean, we've been doing that process for like our top, our top 10, our top 25, our top 50 posts. We've been, we'd started that process like uh, in 2017, 18, and that worked really well, but we were doing it very slowly. And then, you know, it's just, oh, let's just get the whole team together and focus only on this and do it all at once. So 
that didn't make sense. And I'm still kind of questioning what we're doing right now <laughs> based on that. So hopefully it'll have a good effect in the future. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sharing that with us and sharing, you know, if you were starting over today, knowing what you know now, what you would do differently. I think that's super helpful because I know that this, you know, content audit has been a conversation where a lot of, at least a lot of the bloggers I know that have, you know, years and years and hundreds and thousands of, of articles on their blog from being around for so many years, most of them have gone through this content audit process. And so I Thank you for sharing that, that, you know, if you're getting into that, if you're thinking about diving into that, then start with the lower traffic so you can kind of, you know, figure out what works best and kind of get your system down. And then you can move up and decide if it makes sense to update or alter those higher traffic blog posts. Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that because I think now it's really clear what we need to do. <laughs> like I've been trying to figure out for six, seven months. Now that I said that, I'm like, okay, yeah, let's scrap all the SEO and just focus on product optimization. But, you know, one other thing that was really interesting with this process as well is that we found that a lot of articles were getting no traffic from Google, but they were getting the traffic. And we we're like, where is all this traffic coming from? It was Pinterest. So that was shocking to us because we knew that Pinterest was important, but we didn't realize how much. So it encouraged us to look at Pinterest again and then restart our Pinterest strategy based on the fact that there's articles that had not one keyword at all and were ranking at nowhere, anywhere in us in Google, but they were doing really well on Pinterest and because of that, there were high page views. So that was also something that we learned in this process, how important Pinterest is versus us focusing, for example, on Instagram or another social media channel that we don't actually have proven results for. So can you share your Pinterest strategy now? What are you doing now to really optimize? Because that was another channel that I didn't mention, but I think I saw that you have 74,000 followers on Pinterest. And so do you know how much traffic, you know, of that million plus per month, how much is coming from Pinterest overall? I have no idea. (laughs) I I do know that out of all the social media channels that Pinterest is the one that brings us the most traffic. Historically, it's always been the one that brings us the most traffic. And to be honest with you, our Pinterest strategy, we really let it go. I had a bit of an experience with Pinterest management a couple of years ago and kind of let it go for a while and got complacent in the sense that it was just bringing in traffic and it was growing on its own because we were using Board Booster back then, now Tailwind, and that just kind of recycles your pins and whatnot. And we stopped paying attention to Pinterest for so long that we didn't even know that Board Booster wasn't even around anymore. It's like, uh-oh. So it wasn't until recently, I can give you our strategy right now, more so it's just, it's been very recent in the past couple of months where we're like, okay, we need to work with someone that knows. We did hire a Pinterest agency to help us with this, but it's still a new process, but definitely one not that we shouldn't have overlooked. And again, it was just getting distracted with back in 2016. It's like, Ooh, Instagram's new and it's glamorous and what's going on. And let's not focus. Let's focus on Instagram because everybody's doing Instagram when that wasn't what was bringing us traffic or revenue. So lessons that you learned, I would definitely change that if I could go back in time. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. So you mentioned your physical products. So can you touch on that in this online, you know, blogging digital world, you know, digital products, eBooks, and you know, what made you decide to go down the physical product route? When did that come about? I've been wanting to do this since I first started the blog because there was one particular product that I was super passionate about and I just loved so much and I still feel really strongly about. And I approached the brand that I used to use and I said, you know, would you like to collaborate with me? Got crickets from them. And I thought, okay, well, whatever. And I'll make it myself then. And in over the years and listening to, again, the readers or learning more about this product myself, what worked, what didn't, I devised a way to make it better and improve the existing product. But it was always a product that sold really well on the blog because it was what helped me travel lighter or travel, not lighter, but helped me get my clothing into a carry on size. So I was just so evangelical about this product that the readers also tried it. And then as they, over the years, as I started seeing, they said, Oh my God, Alex, this works. This works. I thought, Oh my God, I I need to do it myself and I can do it better. But manufacturing 
is not my jam. I do not like manufacturing. I tried it when I was 19. I tried to start a lingerie line back when I was 19 at Fitum. It was just a huge epic fail for me. So it took me from 2014 until 2017, 18 to actually launch the products. And that was really scary, but it was really tricky. Actually, one, it was not just scary, but it was hard to find a manufacturer and that was going to make a product as good as I wanted it to be. One thing is I want to make affordable products on Travel Fashion Girl. We don't feature luxury. We very rarely feature things that are expensive, only if they're it's a popular item for whatever reason. But I didn't want to have a luxury brand because all the travel accessories out there are luxury. I wanted to make it more people friendly, more wallet friendly. But then we know we're not Walmart. So we can't negotiate with manufacturing rates, these disgustingly low manufacturing rates and the high volume. So it was really hard to try to find a manufacturer that was willing to give us a quality product, which is so hard. And also to give us a reasonable price and not screw us over. So that took quite some time. And I'd rather not have produced a product if it wasn't going to be something I could stand behind or something that was, if not as good, better than the product that I used to use. So I really can feel confident in standing behind our product that it's actually better. I think we did a really good job. But as far as the fear goes, I was afraid to share it with the readers. And finally, I just said, you know what? Screw all the um, proper email funnels or the sales strategies or whatever I'm supposed to do online, you know, like have a cool 60 day calendar of whatever pitching. I don't know what that's not for me. Like I just need to do something because otherwise I'm never going to do it. So I just went on Facebook live and I said, all right, well, this is what I'm doing. Does anybody want to buy it? And people bought it as a pre-sale. So it was really exciting, nerve wracking. We literally, my husband and friends and family and I literally went through every single one of the products and quality, did quality control, like did a, a little handwritten note and packed them all and make sure they were perfect. And now we're, um, I've got a couple of other products going as well. And hopefully we'll have some more. The reason behind a physical product versus a digital product, aside from the, the fact that there was I saw the opportunity there that it made sense for the readers, but also I wanted to diversify the brand. I don't like to put all my eggs in one basket. You know, I'm always thinking, okay, well, this is what's popular now. How long-term, how sustainable is this particular revenue model? What's next? What am I going to be doing three years from now? What, how can we, you know, if something were to happen, travel fashion girl, you know, then what's next? What else are we going to be doing or vice versa? So I really wanted to spread my bets and try the physical product brand. And also I didn't want to name it travel fashion girl. So I could spread my bets a little bit more by having a different one. So there's a long winded explanation for that. Okay. So, well, tell everybody what the products are because now you have multiple products. Yes. So, well, the main anchor product, which is um, a set of packing cubes, which are basically luggage organizers where traditionally people just put their clothes in and kept their luggage organized. But instead I found, I figured out that the right packing cube, you could use it to compress your clothing. So, and you could actually like put more stuff in a smaller suitcase, not that you should, but you can, if you needed to. So that was the strategy that really helped kind of propel travel fashion girl, me and the readers to travel carry on only. And I improved it by adding a color coded and numbered system. So it's different from what's on the market. They're also the only carry on size packing cubes in the market. Aside from that, I also wanted to do the products. They, don't mean, they may be together. They don't make sense, but they made sense to me. They were the three most important things in my personal travel gear. So my packing cubes, an international travel adapter, which I don't go anywhere without because I might be in one country, one destination, but I always have be able to charge my stuff. So an international travel adapter is something I've always had and I actually use it at home as well because it acts also like a, a little extension, like a you can put charge three things versus just one in your outlet. And lastly, my secret bra wallet. And the reason why is because I've never really liked money belts. But when you're traveling in certain countries, it's helpful to have a place to hide some cash or a backup credit card and not just walk around with a wad full of cash in your purse. So those are a few products that I felt very passionate about in my own personal travels that I always used. So that's why they're the three things that we have now. So hopefully we can move into a couple more in the near future. I love it. Okay. And people can find those at compassrosetravelaccessories.com. They can find them on compassrosetravelaccessories.com. They're um, also on Amazon. 
on Amazon. Perfect. Okay. So exciting. So with all of this, what would you say to somebody who is, you know, maybe they've had their business for a few years and they've hit six figures and they are working towards scaling and growing to seven figures, but they feel like they're doing the same old thing or they don't really know what direction to go next. What advice would you have for them? One, read the book Traction. The book Traction really helped me focus. So that's just a practical piece of advice. The other thing is to really think about the 80-20. You know, what are you doing? Do you have to do everything? What if you just double down on the couple of things that actually brings in the brand, the majority of your revenue? So being very laser focused, and that's where traction also comes into play, is that focused not getting caught up on what everybody else is doing. That's a major thing. I think that saved my butt on many occasions where everybody's making money in this certain thing. I'm going to add this offering to my business. And then it's like, oh, well, you already had a way that you were earning money that worked. And then you wanted to get a course or a membership site or physical products or digital products is changing up what works. And that was, again, has to go back with doing, with being focused. That's what got me to the next level from a mistake that I made, which is, oh, everybody's doing courses. I'm going to do a course. And that didn't quite work out for me. So after that experience, I decided just to be very laser focused. What's working, how to do it better. Just double down on that one or two things versus everything. Great advice. Thank you so much. Can we touch on quickly, what does your team look like? Because you mentioned your team and how has that grown over the years? My team is everything. Like I am so fortunate. I love them so much. First, it was just me for a couple of years. And then it was Alma, somebody who came on as just, I guess, a virtual assistant, a general assistant and helped me with a few things here and there in 2000, started in maybe 2013, 14. And now the team's grown in addition to Alma, who's now like big boss on campus, then she's evolved and her role's evolved and I couldn't do anything without her, I think. And our team now is probably, it's around, I don't know, 10 people-ish and not everybody's full-time. I think people work, we've got team members in California, Oregon, the UK, the Philippines, and I'm not sure, probably maybe then we work with freelancers here and there, but for the most part, everybody works between like 10 to 30 hours a week. So nobody's really full time, but everybody's absolutely incredible. And I appreciate them so much. And your cute husband, Harry. Is oh yeah, and Harry. Well. <laughs> <laughs> He's super cute. Okay. And Harry, of course, Harry. Which, you know, we Harry's a big part of the reason why we were able to launch Compass Rose Travel Accessories because he has a bit more background in, in sourcing and it is starting the physical products is starting a second business. So without him and his help, and I don't think I would have been able to do it. And I think that's one thing that's really important to realize is every single time you add a new revenue, a completely different revenue model to your business, you're essentially starting a new job. You're starting a new job. You've got to figure it out, learn it and be good at it. So it's not always as easy as it may seem. So cool. So I love learning about your business. I love I love everything about your business and what you're doing, Alex. And I'm just so in awe of you. And so definitely check out travelfashiongirl.com. Where else should people go to learn more about you? Travelfashiongirl.com, Instagram, travelfashiongirl, Facebook, travelfashiongirl, Pinterest, travelfashiongirl, and also on compassrosetravelaccessories.com now with our new product line. Perfect. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being so open, for sharing so much about your business and how it works and your thought process behind everything. I think this was super helpful. I took so many notes. And so I can't wait for this episode to come out. Thank you so much, Alex. Thank you, Monica. I really appreciate it. And your your questions were awesome because I think it's even helped me create some clarity in my new direction right now. So thank you so much for having me on here. I love you and I love what you're doing. So thanks again. Thank you. I really loved this interview with Alex and how open she was with sharing her journey with us. And after the interview, she actually told me that this was her favorite interview ever. So if you loved this interview too, then do us a favor and share this on Instagram and be sure to tag at Travel Fashion Girl and at Flourish with Monica so that we both can see it. 
the day this episode is released, we will actually be hanging out together at Brand Accelerator Live in Fort Worth, Texas. We are both speakers at our friend Scott Volker's event, so check out my Instagram stories to follow along. And I want you to take action. Think about how you can serve your readers better and test out Alex's reverse SEO strategy. Consider how you can engage your community more and create resources they need and are looking for. And if you use affiliate marketing as one of your revenue streams, review the products you promote and see if there's another higher paying affiliate network you can join or review the products you promote and switch out the ones that don't perform the best or have a lot of returns. And if you're promoting physical products, review the data to see which colors sell the best too. Those simple tweaks can make a big difference to your bottom line like they did for Alex. So thanks again to Alex for being so open with us and sharing what's worked and what hasn't worked to grow her business. And if you've got some travel coming up, then definitely check out her packing list. You'll find the link to the packing list and all the other links and resources we mentioned in this episode at monicalouie.com slash 20. Thank you so much for joining Alex and me today. If you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast and subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another great episode heading your way. So subscribe so you don't miss it. I am sharing the eight real reasons why Facebook ads don't work. Now, if you're confused because you know that I absolutely love Facebook ads, then I want you to tune in next week and I'll explain. If you've ever heard someone say that Facebook ads don't work or thought that for yourself or wondered if they would really work for you, then join me next week on the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. That's all for today. Take care and bye for now. 